Hello, everybody. Uh, this is uh, Sean and Archie Miller on the Next Play podcast, and uh, we welcome our special guest. Uh, I invited him uh, about three or four days ago, and he's kind enough to join us. Trust me, he has a busy schedule at this time of year, so uh, we're elated to have you on, and we want to welcome Ken Pomeroy. Ken, welcome. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Really been looking forward to to this and, and, and chatting with you guys. I watch your stuff after hours. So uh, looking forward to a good conversation here. Well, I, I tell you, uh, you know, I wanted to just historically just kind of bring to life kind of how you and I uh, got together a little bit. And then, um, you know, my, my first question, once we, we kind of cross that is just, I would love, you know, just to hear you kind of explain, you know, your rise into where you once were to what you're doing today, you know, just for our audience, because I think when you say Ken Palm in college basketball, uh, and this is a real credit to you, it's, uh, it's synonymous. It's like everybody kind of knows right now, it's the analytics that, that, that we look at that I think whether it's fans, coaches, you know, uh, we've all come, become accustomed to looking at your site and listening to you and, uh, and watching those numbers become reality. So uh, before we get to that, you know, when I was at Xavier, I think around that time, that's when your site was just really, I think, becoming more and bigger and popular. You know, I went on it and, uh, and Ken, I'm telling you, Arch is my witness. There's no coach that, that coached college basketball that believed in it and looked at it more than me. I mean, I, to the point where my wife actually had a problem with me, like in the middle of the night, you know, she would catch me, have my phone and looking at it. And, and the reason why it meant so much to me as a coach and Arch, I'll let you jump in here is it wasn't just, you know, looking at my team, but, you know, you can look at your site and you could look at your current team, which you're doing well, which you're not doing well. You can compare that to previous teams you've had, which I think is really powerful. You know, sometimes in the emotion of coaching, you almost don't recognize or realize what you're doing well, or sometimes not as well. And I used your site to always kind of ground me with facts. And then the second thing is through scouting, the team you're getting ready to play, you had a great barometer on what they are doing well, but they're not doing well. And it was a metric in, in, in your site, we really relied a lot on to help us be the best we could be to prepare our team in scouting, you know, that, that team we were playing. Furthermore, like the third part about it is, you know, you can start looking at individual players and look at what your own players have done from one year to the next, what teams you're getting ready to play. Like if you click on a player of a team you're getting ready to play, one of the things I always drill down on is what they shoot from two and what they shoot from three. Because if you just looked at the old stat sheet, it, it could lead you down the wrong path. You know, some of these guys are prolific inside the arc, don't take a lot of threes, but make them. And sometimes it's vice versa. But how you split that to me uh, is, again, something that we tried to really talk to our players a lot. Hey, 70% of this guy's shots come from beyond the arc. It's important that you understand that in scouting. So those are just three or four off the top of my head. When I tell you I was consumed with your site, we utilized it as a tool and uh, I believe in it. And if I were picking the NCAA tournament, 
And I know that's uh, now a metric everyone uses uh, or a site everyone uses. Uh, I don't think there's anything better than what you do. Well, uh, I appreciate, I appreciate the kind words. Yeah. I mean, I, um, that's kind of, you know, a lot of what you're discussing is why I developed a site is, you know, I was watching games on TV and hearing people talk about who was playing, you know, commentators or whatever, but even coaches, you know, coaches do interviews and sometimes they tell you, you know, what they want you to hear and things like that. And so, you know, I just wanted a, a way to get, get the facts for every team, you know, I can only follow so many teams. So, uh, you know, when a game I cared about was coming on and I didn't know one of the teams, I could have a quick reference. And uh, yeah, so I appreciate you saying that. I uh, Obviously, you, you were one of the early adopters. And, you know, the reason my site grew was because of people like you, you know, dropping my name at press conferences, you know, in front of media <laughs> groups that like, you know, yeah. a lot of times might be, you know, skew a little older and maybe weren't that into, you know, jumping into new stats and stuff like that. And when those people heard you mention my name, then they had to like take an interest in it and, and figure out what was going on. So it was, uh, so I, you know, really appreciate all, all the, the support you've given me over the years. It's uh, It's been a big help. Well, it's easy to do. I mean, as I hope it's helped you because uh, the only reason I did it is I, I truly believed what I was saying, but I know Arch feels the same way. Yeah. You know, we, uh, as early as the uh, early 2000s, Ken, you know, as crazy as it sounds, really before it was mainstream lingo to everyone. Uh, when I was at NC State with Herb Sendek, at the time, Herb, Herb had morphed his offense into more of a Princeton style stuff. And it was much more about like, not as much how many points a game you score, you know, having a great offense. It was tempo, how fast you play, how many threes are you shooting? What's your effective field goal percentage? And like, there was a guy named Greg Moreland at the time on our staff, very, very intelligent guy, really studied the game. And he would always say in our staff meetings, you know, you know, Herb, I don't know why you're all bent out of shape about our offense. We have the number four ranked offense in college basketball right now. And he would look at him and say, Greg, I don't know what the hell you're talking about right now. You know, where do you get those numbers? He was on it like way back. Yeah. And you can kind of go back even as early as you started. I think it's 02. And you start to track 02, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And those are the times when really no one was talking about efficiencies. They were saying, how fast do you play? How many points a game do you score? What do you shoot from three? But there's much more to it now. And then, you know, as a head coach, you know, especially when I started at Dayton and, and we were growing, um, you know, you would become just consumed with the, with the improvement or lack thereof. And uh, the year we went to the Elite Eight, which was 2014, you know, we had a good team, but we had a stretch in January where we lost four in a row. And uh, in the Atlantic 10 at that time, it was a very good league. Six teams went to the tournament, but we were plummeting in the numbers. And I just remember saying, if I keep looking at this stuff, like I'm going to literally fall <laughs> off the edge. And I quit looking at your site for the rest of the season. And we went on this miraculous, great run. Our team, you know, picked it up. And as I started to look in the NCAA tournament, as we started to advance at our numbers, it was crazy to see the difference in a month, how far you can climb. And, yeah. and just depending on like, you can really improve at certain times of the year and you can watch teams, you know, grow and hit runs, you know, specifically from a number standpoint, defensively, that team went from like low nineties or whatever. And it, and it climbed as the season went, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great site. And uh, as Sean mentioned, helps you prepare your team, your players, it also, you know, really helps you talk to your own players. You know, I think as you study your own players through the course of a season or year to year, 
you can really develop a way of trying to help them improve, you know, with their, you know, their efficiency, you know, where are they at assist to turnover, free throw rate, you know, free throw percentage, things like that. I think really help as help a coach, not just your team or preparing, but just looking at your own players and how they grow over the years is, is, is uh, really, really interesting as well in terms of their ratings. And um, I think just from my standpoint, as you look at really good players across college basketball, if you search the leagues on your site and you go to your Ken Palm top five players in each conference, it's really telling who the best players are and what they're doing in, in league play. I think that's a very underrated um, gauge of who's really good in, in league play. If you look at the, sometimes you'll have four guys from one team, right. you know, four out of five from one team and that team is so dominant, but you can tell sort of their, their numbers and what they're doing in conference play. But uh, Ken, Ken, let me, let me ask you for, for those who don't know your background, your background, how, how this whole thing started. Yeah, it started out um, as a hobby. You know, I, um, I've always been into the stats and numbers and would rather, uh, you know, punch numbers into a spreadsheet than read a book. So, uh, so that's kind of been just how my brain operates. And, uh, you know, 20 years ago or so, book Moneyball came out. Um, there's a lot of work in analytics and baseball. And uh, there was really nothing, not much going on in basketball. What little there was was for the NBA. And uh, so I just kind of wanted to do some stuff for college basketball. And as I mentioned, I was watching games and people were just like Archie was saying, talking about like teams, offenses and defense in terms of points per game. And that didn't make a lot of sense to me. And so, so it started as a hobby, made the website. And, uh, you know, at the time I was a meteorologist working for the government and, you know, really enjoyed my job, never had any, any goal or thought of doing this full time or anything like that. But uh you know, things kind of took off over time, you know, just gradually more and more people started using it, more coaches started using it, more media started mentioning it and uh, became popular enough where I could, you know, could do it full time. And, uh, you know, that's what I've been doing now for the last uh, nine years, I guess. How were you at predicting the weather? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just say this, like predicting the weather gave me a, a good appreciation for you know having some humility in predictions right and like that happens in in basketball too I and mean, we're just talking about right. the arizona ucla series you know it's like um it's it's you can't predict things with absolute certainty that's why we watch the games that's why it's so popular and so uh so it really gave me a good grounding for like hey if i'm gonna put predictions on my website i need to put like a percentage by these predictions because there's obviously not you know absolute certainty in making any of these forecasts yeah for sure for sure so one of the uh I, correct me if I'm wrong, I'll call it a metric, okay, that, that you look at is something that you put, uh, and we've talked about this, free throw defense, right? So <laughs> I'm going to explain it, and if I'm wrong, you correct me. You know, you play these games. Let's say uh, I'm the coach at Arizona, and we play a 35-game season. You look back and you say, what did the other team shoot for percentage from the free throw line against your team? And then I think the other part is relative to the normal percentage that they shoot, correct? Yeah, I mean, I just have free throw percentage on there, but obviously it's, you know, it should be judged in terms of what your opponents shoot. Yeah, normally. Okay, which, you know, for the viewers here, unless there's something else, I know Frank Vogel kind of said something, he defends a free throw like a certain way, like he has his guys go, but like you don't defend the free throw shot. It's called a free throw, right? For a reason, but- <laughs> in the history, or at least over the last decade, Ken, it's a long time. There's a lot of basketball being played over 10 years. The coach whose team has defended 
defended the free throw better than any coach. I mean, there's 300 and what, 70 teams over 10 years. The number one coach in that metric of defending the other team's free throw shot is. Is it Archie Miller? Is that the answer? <laughs> it's him. Yeah. It's, him. <laughs> it's like he doesn't even, he never practices it. You know, it's like, what's going on? We there? spend, we, we have spent all of our time. Uh, defending free throws in practice instead of <laughs> shooting them because clearly our free throw percentage offense uh, does not equate to number one. Right. No, that's, a that's the thing. His free throw shooting teams weren't like they were frustrating at times in his recent years. So it's like it evened out because uh, he defended the other team's free throw really well. But I, I think it's funny. That's true, by the way. We're not even kidding. Like uh, it's just it's amazing that you two are on my screen. It's it's quite an honor actually to look at that and see it. <laughs> hey, it's one thing I, if anyone puts me on a bench anytime soon, it's one thing I will definitely claim <laughs> that uh, will go well for us as we uh, progress as a program. So Ken, drilling down here, okay? We have the Providence Friar fans in this season. They're 20 and two. They play in a very good conference, the Big East. They're 10 and one in the Big East conference, right? And they're having historically one of the best seasons that, that they've had in terms of a regular season. And we both know they're good. But in the Big East Conference, if you just go on your site, I think they're at like 41, right? Maybe the fifth 41. or sixth best team. Yeah. And, and their fans are beside themselves basically saying there's no way, there's no way, there's no way. Could you help us explain to them? And, and by the way, one thing that I'll say is, it is February 7th. It's not March 7th. So there's still a lot of basketball to be played. But why is that? So, uh, you know, my rating is designed to be predictive. That's all, all I care about is making predictions. I'm not trying to reward you for quality wins or punish you for bad losses or things like that. Um, so when you look historically at what makes good predictions, it is, it's not really who you beat, but how, how you play against who you play. Um, so, for instance, if you look at, you know, just look at historically last 25 years, take, you know, take a team's record halfway through conference season, take their scoring margin at that point and try to predict the next half of conference season. Um, wins matter, like wins are, do help you make that prediction, but scoring margin matters way more. Um, so there is a skill to winning. I don't want to say there's no skill to winning. And actually, historically, when you look at like coaches and what they do um, late in games and in close games, Ed Cooley has a pretty good track record. I've looked at that. But still, uh, even the best coach in the world doesn't have a lot of control of what happens in close games. And really, if we want to project what's going forward, it's all about scoring margin. And so their scoring margin has not been great. I think if you look at like their scoring margin against top 100 teams, like it's barely positive this year. Like it's, it's uh, you know, because they've had two, two blowouts and most of their wins have been close. So, um, so historically, teams like Providence, uh, perform like the 41st best team in the country going forward, which is not bad. They could still, you know, they're still going to win a bunch of games, but um, they're not going to norm normally teams like that don't win as many games going forward as they have in the past. And, and would you say you would, you would look at them because they're definitely in the tournament and they're going to have a great season, yeah. regular season, but you have to look at them with some skepticism of how far they can go based on your site. Yeah, the way I would put it uh, is that if they are going to, you know, go to the Sweet 16 or even get to the Final Four, like they're going to have to play better than they have played so far. Right. Um, that's 
That's the best way to put it. Like the way, you know, if you look in the past, like teams, you know, again, look, just kind of breaking the conference schedule up in halves, you know, teams that have a lot of success in close games in the first half of the conference season, like their record in the second half of the conference season in close games is like almost 500. Like it's actually below 500, but, mm. but basically it just gives you an indication that, you know, the idea that teams have like some sort of really special skill in close games, there, there might be teams that have that, but, but most teams do not. <laughs> right. And of course, everybody thinks their team has it. And, you know, if you're coaching that team, of course, you would think your team has that skill and that, that, that you have it. And like I said, Ed Cooley historically has some skill in close games, but the notion that they're just going to like constantly win these close games, especially when you get to the tournament, because you're going to play other teams that obviously have played well in close games and have coaches that know what they're doing in close games. And it's like, you know, there's going to be a lot of games that come down to the last possession. And it's, it's, you know, it's kind of fool's goal to think that like your team is going to have some sort of yeah. magic potion in those situations. So the reverse of the question that I just asked you, I think, and, and I'm curious to get the answer. I would look at Wisconsin when Bo Ryan was the coach and, and really with Greg as the coach as well, but in particular, Bo Ryan. And as you know, they did not play a fast tempo. They played just the opposite, a slower tempo. Arch knows even better than me, but they would always be incredibly high on your site. I mean, when you look top five, top three, it would start where they were near the top and they wouldn't deviate much. And I started to really look at it. And one of the things that I really felt was, look, when they play a team, especially in a non-conference season that they're favored against, in some cases heavily favored against, I mean, they beat them badly. Like the margin, the scoring margin at times, you'd see a game 75-42, right? And I want you to know, like I started to adjust the last couple of years because obviously your site is, is something that's part of the puzzle towards seeding and making the NCAA tournament. That's a fact. It's part of the, it's not the entire puzzle, but it's part of it. But I believe this, like the days of, you know, you're playing a team and you're up 20 with four minutes left and you clear your bench, right? And, you know, some of it is sportsmanship. I still understand that. Some of it is you don't want to get somebody hurt late in the game. Uh, but I tell you what, instead of putting them in at four minutes, I started putting them in at about a minute and 40 seconds, simply because there's so many times that in that last four-minute segment, the game is spun like minus eight points in the other team's favor, right? right. Uh, because it's, you know, you just subbed your entire bench out. I took more pride in the scoring margin. And, and I would say that I speak for most coaches right now that this final score of the game has never been more important towards uh, your site, certainly, but I believe this, it has something to do with making the tournament and where you're seated. You just mentioned it about Providence. You know, one of the things is all these close games, yeah, they're winning and that's really what counts, but you know, they're winning by one point. Unfortunately, they, they had a couple lopsided losses in there and you see what it did, it spirals them downward on your site. Gonzaga is a great example. You look at the scoring margin, especially in their own conference, like I think it, it helps them. So, you know, I think a lot of people say that, hey, one thing that Ken Palm overvalues is beating a team you should beat by a huge margin versus eight points or 10 more points. Do, do you agree with that? Um, I would say it's a fair criticism in cases of, you know, really good teams playing really bad teams. Um, certainly uh the point of the system you know obviously is not for it assumes like some sort of normal effort at the end of games i would say like 
the idea that, you know, more coaches are leaving their, their guys in late in games to improve their scoring margin. I mean, that makes me uncomfortable, but, but also I would say. <laughs> hey, you've moved the needle. <laughs> yeah, I get it. Uh, I would also say though, that like, I mean, you know, players better than I do, but I still think if you're up 30 at the end of a game and your starters are in the game, like they're probably not playing with the same urgency that they do in the first half. You know, they're not mm -hmm. going on floor, you know, diving on the floor after loose balls or whatever. And so some of that takes care of itself, but there's no doubt, like, yeah, like a late 10-0 run in garbage time probably shouldn't be included in the formula. Like I should be filtering that out and maybe someday I will. There's an issue for me. Like I have this system that's been running for 20 years and like the formula has been mostly the same and like, I kind of don't want to change it and have to go back and change all those years because people remember where they finished in those years. And now they're going to go back and look at it and be like, Hey, I, I thought I was 34th that year. Now I'm 38th. Like what, what's going right. on? Ken? Yeah. Right. So, so there's that, that holds it back. But, but I do agree. Like there's no doubt. Um, Gonzaga is probably rated two or three points too high in my system. Like they're still the best team in the country. I feel pretty confident in that, but, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the fact that, uh, you know, they beat the 200th ranked team by 40 points, when they're expected to beat them by 30 points and that might improve them marginally in the system is, you know, maybe not the best, maybe not the best feature in the system. I can, I can own that. Yeah. Arch, you got, you got, uh... I would just say this, you know, one of the things that's interesting to me is, is the NCAA tournament selection committee uses the, the net, you know, it's changed here in the last year or so. They haven't really given anyone a transparent formula for what the net accounts for. It's, it's, it's not the, the, the end all be all, you know, the determining factor. But I think one thing that really is unique and probably from your standpoint is analytics now plays a role, you know, in, in the net rankings and, you know, scoring margin and efficiencies play a, play a big role, rather regardless of, of how people want to do the eye tests or, or, or whatnot. But you have to feel pretty unique that right now the selection committee not only is valuing what you do, uh, but it's 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 part it's a big part of what goes on in terms of measuring the net. And uh, when you look at the net and you look at your your ratings and whatnot, uh, what could you give the average listener out there a piece to the puzzle when it comes to their net rating versus your ratings and like the selection process and seating? But you do play a role in that right now with your role in college basketball. Yeah. So the net, um, you know, as you pointed out, it's not transparent. That's, uh, you know, I don't understand. I can understand a little bit why it's not transparent. You know, the NCAA doesn't want a bunch of knockoff websites posting the net rating, right. They want their own website and they want everybody to go there. So I get that. It's disappointing that they didn't like back compute it for previous years, which they could easily do. You know, we, then we can get a better idea of kind of how it right. works. Um, but it is, you know, it does seem like it's pretty similar to my system. Obviously, it, it's based on efficiency margin. I think the two main differences are there is some inclusion there in terms of like wins and losses, like somehow that factors in. Um, and then but the, the fact that you have a preseason starting point mm -hmm. and the net doesn't, that's right. one major that's one major difference. That is a major difference. You know, by the end of the year, it's not a difference because I, you know, I, the preseason starting point doesn't factor into my ratings at that point. So um so by the up. way at what point in the season do you think that you can you can say in your best assessment that where where a team started is irrelevant to now where they're at like would you say uh, february would, yeah early february basically it's after a team plays 21 games okay uh, it's entirely it's entirely gone but you know when a team's played 20 games like it's a very very small factor right so mm -hmm. you know people yeah the preseason ratings are uh 
you know, something people get bent out of shape over as well, but it does come back to the point where I'm, you know, I'm trying to make predictions. So, uh, you know, you're not going to make good predictions two games into the season if you don't have a preseason rating. And for like 90% of the teams, you look back on those preseason ratings at the end of the year and they're like, they're like pretty close. So they, you yeah. know, they do a pretty good job of um, providing like reasonable ratings early in the season and a reasonable estimate of how teams are. And, you know, you can look at any number of teams that like start off kind of unexpectedly and then kind of rebound, you know, or yeah. in either direction. Dayton, Dayton's yeah. has a great example this year where they started off like they lost like three home games in a row, like three bye games in a row, you know, right. and if you didn't have preseason ratings, you'd have had them rating like, you know, 250th or something. And they clearly, you know, you knew from their roster, like they weren't the 250th best team at that point. So anyway, you got me on a little soapbox there about preseason ratings, but that's why, you know, that's why I include them is because they, they do help uh, make better predictions early in the season. So I think this is the most important question I can ask you. My team is now in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, the one thing about the tournament that makes it magical is it's, it's a one shot deal, right? 40 minutes, neutral court, single elimination. If it was a seven game series, you know, your website probably wouldn't be as, (laughs) I, I, you know, like to me popular almost, you know, it's like the fact that it's just like a one, one time deal. What style component do you think makes the best teams the most vulnerable in this neutral court single elimination March Madness time? When you look at skepticism, yeah, they've had a great year. They're ranked high, even in, in your uh, on your website. But you worry about them potentially getting eliminated in the tournament. Is there a stat or stats that come to your mind that makes you, you, you worry about that very, very good team? Well, first I would say that college basketball is awesome because teams can be great playing a variety of styles. And um, so it's, it's hard. Like if a team has a track record over the course of a year and they're, you know, ranked very high in my ratings, like it's hard, you know, it's hard to rule them out based on style. They're still yeah. a very good team, and uh, however they got there, if they've done that consistently for 30 games, the chances are they're going to be a really tough out in the NCAA tournament. Um, but if we had to point to something, I'd say there's a couple things. One is, uh, you know, what we see increasingly, I think even maybe more so this year, is that great offense beats great defense. So you can look at teams that uh, are built on great defense and maybe have a mediocre offense, and, you know, they're probably – more in danger of getting upset than the flip, you know, a team that has a great offense and a mediocre defense, like hot shooting can sustain you for a while. And if you have good shooters, you have a better chance of, of hot shooting. And you can, yeah. you know, look at Virginia historically, like they had that uh, Tony Bennett's obviously had a, had a long run, you know, 10 year run of having outstanding defense, top five defense almost every year. And the offense, a lot of times is mediocre, you know, but, you know, the year they won the national title, the offense was actually, I think, what, two in the country. Or yeah, something. no, you're right. The defense was five. So, yeah, it's an indication of that. I think the other thing is, like, good. You mentioned breaking it down between two-point shooting and three-point shooting. And two-point shooting is just more consistent and more stable from game to game than three-point shooting on both sides of the court. So, if you have great two-point shooting defense, chances are that's going to hold up in the long run. If you have great two-point shooting offense, chances are that's going to hold up in the long run, you know. Three point shooting teams that have both and those teams that have both. Those are the ones that to me are going to be the toughest out. Would you agree? 
yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that's the whole thing is like having balance. <laughs> you know, people want like little cliches, like, ah, oh, you know, defense wins championships or whatever. But you know what? Wins championships, great offense and great defense. And it really starts with that two point percentage. You know, if, if you don't have, it's tough to win with mediocre two point percentage offense or defense. It has been done, but it is rare. And I, I would not count on it. Yeah. I would, I would look at it like this, Ken, you know, I, I think final four good. Would you say has to be top 10 OND or is it more top 10, top 20? Or do you just, cause there's probably, I'd say eight teams in that, in that ballpark today that are a top 10 O and a top 20 D. If you just double it and make it 16, you're probably in that range of top 20 in both. But in your estimation, as I look at it, final four, good. Winning four in a row to get to the final four. Uh, traditionally, is there, is there a marker that you would say, this team's got a great chance, this team's going to you know, struggle, et cetera? What, what are, what's your border, what's your median line when it comes to how good you have to be to get there? So getting to the final four is a little bit of a lower bar. Like we've had teams get to the final four outside the top 100 in one of those categories, you know, it doesn't, you, you, there's a little bit more flukiness getting to the final four. Um, you know, uh, so I try to avoid setting like hard boundaries. I know people want, you know, these little facts that they can use to fill out their bracket and things like that. Certainly top 10 O and D is like championship material. Like you're probably not finding the national championship outside of that category. That said, like, I think Baylor was like, you know, special case last year for sure. But Baylor was like 40th in defense heading into the tournament last year. And I mean, you're going to be like, no way were they the 40th best defense. But, you know, they had that COVID pause and they actually legitimately were not playing good defense there for a stretch in February last year. Clearly their peak was best defense in the country, but their track record last year was not that great heading into the tournament. So you have those issues. You have to kind of use your noggin, but, um, but I'd say like top 10 is championship material and top you know, 25 on both sides is, is final four material. But that said, you know, you can always get a, yeah. you know, a VCU in 2011 or whatever. Or, uh, right. you know, I look State at, last I look year, it was like team, a game away. Like I look at a team like Purdue right now. And Purdue oh, is yeah. historically good on offense right now. Number one overall um, in, the, in the metrics, three on three in, in America in three-point field goal percentage offense. They're seventh in two-point field goal percentage off heck of a combination so th that offense is like but they're 106 <laughs> and this is this is matt's worst defensive team since 2013 in terms of the ratings um i'm not saying they're a bad defensive team it's just 106 is low for purdue it's the lowest since 2013 and i look at them and two-point field goal percentage defense is 132 and three-point field goal percentage defense is 181 and they're 341 in forced turnovers. Part of it's probably a byproduct of their personnel, yep. but their offense is overwhelming to the point where I think they got a chance to win the Big Ten and, and probably get a one seed by the end of the year, and they're heading in that way. But I look at their defense and I say, man, is 106 going to be good enough, you know, on a one-game deal in a neutral setting? Is their defense going to be good enough to overcome? And I think, like, Purdue, to me, uh, they they could probably take another jump defensively, but that's a drastic difference. Number one on O and one oh six yeah. for one seed, you know, trying to get to the final four. It's yeah, it's definitely concerning. I guess the way I would just describe it is like they cannot in the tournament, if they play like the 106 defense, 
yeah, no chance. They're going to get beat early, you know, beat before the final four anyway. They would have to, you know, play like the play like a top 40 D in the tournament. Like I think this came up maybe with Duke in 2015. I think they were like 80th, 90th defense heading into the tournament mm-hmm. or maybe not heading into the tournament, but maybe heading into the ACC tournament or something. And then, you know, their guys figured it out and they clearly had the personnel where you're like, you know, upside is they can, they can play good defense if they ever figure it out. And they did figure it out and they figured it out in the tournament and obviously they won it. And so that's how I would put it. Like, you cannot play like the 106 best defense. Right. Get to the final like, four. You have to the improve. Reason, the reason I bring them up is because of the elite teams in college basketball, which they are, they have a very unique metric. You know, it's not like, you know, 10 and 14, like Auburn or 12 and five, like Arizona, two and 10, one and 106. That's, that's a big difference. And if you look at some of those teams that are kind of like in that regard, LSU is the opposite. LSU is like 117 on O one on D, you know what I mean? I think, but, but one you thing said I early was, though, offense, yeah. good offense beats good defense. That's I think right. that's where you look at LSU struggling right now and saying their defense damn near has to be perfect to win a game. Yeah. But you're, I thought the point you made Ken about historically the better offense beats the better defense in the, in the tournament. Uh, it's a powerful statement. I mean, I said that's, that says a lot, you know, one thing you and I've talked about in the past, is and this this goes back the game's changed somewhat i mean actually it's changed quite a bit in the last six or seven years but you know we had a couple of those teams at arizona were really good on defense good on offense too you know stanley johnson and tj mcconnell aaron gordon that that two-year run we lost to wisconsin in the elite eight but i was concerned about you know what what metric do you look at the most do i keep my eye on as a coach that we, we're not the, the that we can make ourselves the least vulnerable in early rounds in the tournament as a high seed. And what you said to me at the time, and I, I'd be curious to bring it back up is look at three point defense, not from a percentage percentage is, you know, you, you want to be good against three point shot, three point percentage defense, but the teams that can be vulnerable in early rounds that are high seeds are teams that the other team shoots a lot of threes against them. You know, so that, you know, if you like you, I think you said it like this, if you constantly are letting teams shoot 25, 30 threes, you could run in in a 40 minute game against a hot shooting team or a great three point shooting team and leave early because of that stat alone. You, you just, you let too many threes go up. And when you told me that I thought of Duke's great run that they had under coach K, you know, that's one of the things historically, especially when he, in his earlier teams, you couldn't get a three point shot up let alone them make it, you know? Yeah. I mean, uh, he was, uh, you know, and, and it's kind of odd because like late in his career, he's kind of gotten away from that, but like, right. you know, in a, in a you know, era where there's more three pointers being shot, he's gotten away from it. So yeah, it was, it's kind of odd, you know, he was really the first to, to jump on that. And, you know, they obviously picked you up at half court and, and, you know, denied passing lanes and things like that. But um, yeah, that was kind of a byproduct of his defense was like, you, you weren't getting three pointers against him. And uh it's very true. Like college basketball game, it really, you know, the thing that is most predictable about a game is where shots are going to come from. There's obviously a lot of things that aren't predictable, but you know, if I just look at a shooting profile from a team, how they give up shots at the rim, how they defend the three and, and how, you know, the opposing offense takes those shots. Like, you know, I have a really good idea of how that's going to work out in the game. You know, teams that don't take many threes and play against a defense that takes that away. Obviously they're not going to take many threes in that game. If they can't get to the rim. They're not going to get to the rim if they're playing a defense that, that defends the rim really well. So, a game is really about how, you know, 
you know, what kind of shots you get. And then the reason that, you know, you have upsets and unexpected things happen is because, you know, field goal percentage is highly variable and sometimes shots drop and sometimes they don't. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's really important to understand, you know, watching a game or coaching a game or whatever, like, you know, controlling where shots come from is really what a defense um, can do. And, you know, it starts with the three point shot and, I don't know if you're like leading into LSU here, but they're, they're a particularly unusual defense this year where they're, you know, at least still hanging on to being the best defense in the country. And yet uh, they give up a ton of threes. Yeah, uh, that's like crazy. a completely new wrinkle. You know, Will Wade has not had good defensive teams there. And then this year, um, you know, they have so much length at the, at the you know, they do a lot perimeter. Of yeah. That they, you know, teams can take threes and they can still be like, the theory behind this is that teams, you know, when you, once you take a three, like, you know, the shots up and you, you can't really defend it then, you know, it's going to go in or it's not going to go in, but LSU is probably a rare case where they can actually like the shot player rises for a shot and they can still recover and defend and bother that shot pretty well. And uh, so far they've gotten away with it. Obviously they're going through a rough patch, but I don't think that rough patch has been due to like hot three point shooting. I think it's just yeah. other things going on there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well listen, Ken, Ken I, yeah. I, I appreciate your time. Uh, this, this is uh always enlightening. I, I would just say my perspective, uh, you know, former coach, someone who's followed you so religiously for the last 20 years, when you start looking at, at teams who's making the tournament advancing, your site is the absolute best. And I, I think I speak for all coaches. You have no idea the impact you've made in allowing a coach to see his own team weaknesses, strengths, what they need to improve on, individual players, the same thing as Arch pointed out, and also the other team you're getting ready to play. And I, and I think that other part of your site where once you get into February and you can click on the conference only, where there's no non-conference schedule, like how do you truly do against each other? Uh, I think that's equally, equally helpful uh, to really know like where, where you, where you stack up and what, what are the things you need to to do well on so um but appreciate really really appreciate your time today well thanks guys yeah i appreciate the kind words appreciate all the support you guys have given me and uh enjoy the conversation keep up the good work the rest of the year i really uh, enjoy the the insight that you bring to the game so uh so it's been really fun to watch you guys appreciate Ken, thanks man thanks and again remember arch the number one free throw defensive coach <laughs> in history not the history, I think the last over the last decade in college basketball. So I don't know if there's an award or anything you need to give him, but I think it's you know it's surreal to see both of you on the same screen. It's been an honor, really. And uh, you're probably yeah, the look, only probably the only person in the whole entire world that could tell somebody that number. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Ken. We'll see hey, you. We'll see you. All right, thanks, guys. Uh, Sean, uh, Ken, Ken Palmroy. Um, I tell you what, he's made a lot of people over the last probably five or six years here who have, can't catch a ball, dribble a ball, or pass a ball. He can sure help you look like you know what you're talking about right now in terms of the game. There's so many people that cover the game now that reference him. And I tell you, as a coach, though, it is, it is uh, without a doubt, the first thing you do in the morning when you wake up is, is you look at that site and you kind of see where you're at, who you play. And um, it's an incredible uh, – Incredible platform that he's given everybody to kind of study. You know, Arch, I thought the two things that really stand out for me with our conversation with him is, and again, he wasn't just giving you his opinion. He was basing it on his site and the, the history of his site. 
really good offense trumps good defense in, in yeah. the NCAA tournament. It, it's a harder out when you're elite def offensively. Um, yeah. And I think if you have both, then obviously that speaks for itself. And I think the second thing he said, look at a team's ability to score two point percentage, the percentage that they, that they score from two, the amount, the amount of twos they score, you know, that they take each game and how they defend the two that that quality also makes for, for a tough out. And, you know, one of the teams that I think of just cause I, I watch him closely when he said those things is Arizona. I really, they're where they're thriving to this point is that they're not only good in two point offense, but they're equally good, great two point defense as well. And there's, there's all, there's also other, other teams that you could put in that category. Uh, Gonzaga. But yeah, but it's, uh, it's, it's uh, interesting to hear him, him, Safe. I agree with, I mean, I agree with him. I know how you feel when you're in the tournament. Um, everybody has something that they're very good at, but I tell you, when it comes down to winning the game, you know, who can score in the half court, you know, who can execute, score, get easy shots, because the game is so hard in the tournament. It's such a different style at times, but, uh, you know, it's, um, it's unique. I mean, it's unique to, to look at the teams where he has rated, and then sometimes where they're projected going into the tournament, like for instance, Murray State, they're 22 and two, and they're ranked in the pre in the in the top 25 this week. But Murray State's 27th in Ken Palm today, mm -hmm. and um, if they don't win their conference tournament, are they going to get in? That's that old deal of 25, 26, 27 wins. But right now, if you're 27 in Ken Palm. Uh, you're ahead of Arkansas, San Francisco, Iowa State, Wisconsin, Boise State, Washington State, Indiana, Wyoming, Seton Hall. Like 27 on February 10th is 27. You know yeah. what I mean? And like, you know, be interested to see if Murray wins this thing out and how they do. But they're an at-large team, in my opinion. And uh, be interested to see kind of where they go if they don't win the conference tournament. You know, how does that all work for a team like that? Arch, I want to, you know, fast forward to point guard vision. Um, and, and before I do that, I want to just give you this number because one of the teams that people talk a lot about is Loyola Chicago from the Missouri Valley. Yep. That what happens if they don't win the Missouri Valley Conference Tournament? Would they be an at-large team? And, you know, I looked at them earlier. I have, I don't see any way that you can keep them out of the tournament. And one of the big stats that helps them is, they control their non-conference schedule. And this year they played the 50th toughest non-conference schedule in the country. You know, to some people that may, that number may not mean much, but if you play the 50th toughest non-conference schedule, you played a really good non-conference schedule. You played a schedule that, that you wanted to help get you an at-large berth. And I think that when you look at their quad one and quad two wins, they're four and four at the moment here in early February they have more quad one and quad two wins than quite a few other teams that are feel like they're trying to make the same, the same tournament as Loyola. I, I really believe in Loyola. Like they're 41 on offense, they're 41 on defense in Ken Palm. They played the 50th toughest non-conference schedule. And, and uh, 
they're an at-large team. At-large, what, one of 35? There's 35 at-large is given out. Maybe yeah. I'm off by a couple. Uh, they're one of the top 35 teams in the country now, and I, I think they'll be the, be the same here in a month from now. But along those lines, point guard vision and just a quick recap, Arch, to just to give us a little credibility. Started with the St. Bonaventure, and they're having a good season. Maybe not as good as we, we had thought originally, but um, would you agree with that? Yeah, Bonnie's have uh, got off to a great start in November. I think in early December, COVID plus maybe an injury or two uh, maybe derailed them, um, you know, from doing – uh, the, you know, the, the running the table being, you know, clear cut favorite in the 810. They stumbled a few times, but I still think at the end of the day, St. Bonaventure is on pace to win 20 games plus. They'll be right there in the discussion at the end of the year for 810 regular season. If they're not going to be there, they'll be in the 810 tournament, but they're going to have a great year. They're 12 and seven, they're four and four in the 810, and they still have a ton of games remaining. But I think they got derailed a little bit injuries in November, December, maybe a COVID pause or two. Um, they stumbled a little bit here of late in conference play, but there's still a team I think that's going to have a finish with another great season, regular season. Colorado State, obviously they're playing really well, uh, which was uh, one of our teams that we selected. Yep. St. Mary's, ditto for St. Mary's. Uh, their year. offense has steadily climbed. They've always been elite defensively, but their offense over the last month has improved they're making shots. They they seem to, to have more more of a flow to what they're doing. More of a confidence. They have more different players stepping up on offense to complement an already just terrific defensive team. So you have um, Colorado State. You have St. Mary's. You have St. Bonaventure. Davidson is the other team that we went over who's having a a great year. They're they're right. a clear cut favorite to win the regular season. They're an at-large bid team this season, and um, they're, they have a chance to win 25-plus games this year. And they have an offense. They would be a team that I would not they, want to see. In, in, in offense, if, if, if you're talking about good offense beats good defense, they're a team that can win games in a tournament because of how good they are on offense. Yeah. So today, uh, I'll bring up Wyoming. Um, Jeff Linder is their coach. He does an outstanding job. Uh, I've been familiar with, with Jeff. You remember Arch when he was an assistant at Boise State mm -hmm. for Leon Rice, and uh, we both played against Boise State. They had a unique way of playing offense. Uh, they utilized their personnel maybe as well as any college team when he was on that staff. He, he had a lot to do with their offense. He left there to be the head coach at Northern Colorado. Um, historically, you know, not, not a place where they've always been in the winner's circle. And uh, he did it both with his defense and his offense at Northern Colorado. At one point, I think he was top five in America in defending the three-point shot, uh, maybe number one in America for a period of time when he coached in Northern Colorado in the big sky. And then this, he's only in his second year at Wyoming, first year being under COVID, which is hard on all of us. Uh, but I think when you look at his team right now, they're 20 and two. Is that right at the moment? Uh, currently right now, they're 19 and three, but they're, and three. they're in sole first place of the Mountain West at eight and one. And they just beat uh, Colorado State, Boise State, and then one at Fresno this weekend for a, a really, really big three game swing that they had that uh, they're in the driver's seat to win the Mountain West regular season right now. And, you know, when you watch them on TV in Wyoming, 
place is packed. The arena is packed. They have an energy surrounding this team and, uh, and he's just doing an outstanding job. Again, 19 and three. I know one of his three losses is at Arizona. Um, and you think at Arizona, about- neutral to Stanford, and then at Boise, um, where there are three losses this year. Um, but they, um, they've had road wins at Washington. Uh, in league play, they've already won uh, against Boise, uh, against Colorado State, won at Fresno. Uh, they still have to play San Diego State, I think, uh, but they've done an unbelievable job. And Hunter Maldonado is probably yeah, he's an un- unknown player in college basketball. He's a 6'6-plus guard who they use at the point or off the ball, and uh, he's got that perimeter to post back down game yep. going down, and he's as difficult to guard as any player that you'll play against in college. You know, a lot like the Villanova teams when their guards back down, but he has the capability to do that almost for 40 minutes. And uh, he's an unbelievable player along with Graham uh, Ike, their big guy, um, who's a terrific player as well, but they're, they're, they're very good. And um, right now the Mountain West Conference between San Diego State, Colorado State, Boise, and now Wyoming, it's a four-bid league um, yeah. this year. It's just uh, uh, it's a give great, them a lot of credit. League. And when you watch their games, you know, there's so many of those arenas that have great crowds and, uh, some really good coaches in, in that league. We talk about Nico Medved at Colorado State earlier, but Jeff Linder really, he deserves all the credit in the world doing an outstanding job at Wyoming in only his second year. And uh, they have a good team, that's for sure. Really, really good team, yeah. Well, Arch, go ahead, take yeah. it away. That's it for us this week, real quick. Uh, I was glad to be able to bring Ken Ken Palm on and uh, and get that out there and then, talk a little bit here about Wyoming. It's coming down to home stretch, about three and a half weeks left of the regular season. Um, this is when the games really get good. And uh, we're looking forward to another good week here as, as the season progresses. But things are shaping up pretty good uh, in these leagues and uh, some great basketball that we'll be able to talk about here coming down the stretch next couple of weeks. But uh, for Sean and Arch on the Next Play podcast, uh, we'll talk to you guys soon.